But if you're the go-to person in your business, you, there's only a certain amount of work that you can do before you just crack. It's the same as your genes. You can't overload them. So glutathione is a massively important compound and we're using it up all the time in our bodies. Methylfolate supports methylation. Methylation supports many, many things. If your MTHFR gene is totally fine, no variants at all, but you're deficient in riboflavin, it won't go. You'll be amazed when you have a positive mindset and a target. Pick something, one thing, and, and knock it out. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, I am so excited about this interview. This is an interview with somebody I have been following for years, 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 years. Dr. Ben Lynch is honestly one of the go-to figures in the holistic health movement. And when it comes to genes, he is the guy. What I really love about his approach is it is not one of being overwhelmed and fear and feeling like you're destined by whatever your genetic profile reveals. Rather, he really understands the role of diet and lifestyle and environment and how your genes are expressing themselves. So you might not even need to know your actual genetic code to still make incredible changes. That said, this is still a very deep dive into genes, how they work, what your DNA says about you. There will be a full transcript, have no fear, at the show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash dirty genes. If after listening to this show, you would like to get some of Dr. Lynch's products, I personally adore his low histamine probiotic blend and his DAO supplement for those with histamine intolerance. They are amazing. Or you can get his genetic testing, Stratagene, so much more. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash seeking health and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get a discount. There will also be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus plus life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. You can also follow me on Instagram. I am giving away a lot of fun things on Instagram, so definitely check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Dr. Ben Lynch. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so, so excited about the conversation that I am about to have. So when I first started this show, I made a list of ideal guests that I wanted to bring on the show. And today's guest, he was at the top of the list from day one. Like I literally remember writing his name down. And that is because as you guys know, a lot of you are very familiar with things like genetic testing, epigenetics, what our genes mean. And I've been obsessed with the whole gene thing for like quite a few years now. It probably started when I first got the MTHFR quote diagnosis that a lot of people experience. And I went down that whole tangent rabbit hole. I actually, at the time, wrote a really long blog post on it. And I remember for quite a while, I would Google it and I wrote that blog post and then my blog post would come up as the answer. And I was like, this is not helpful because clearly I don't know the answers. But I think a lot of people, when it comes to genetic testing and learning about your genes, it can be very 
confusing because I think people think genes are their destiny or that, you know, it, it, it could mean that they're wedded to some outcome. And when really the reality might be that our environment, our diet, our lifestyle can make so many changes and all of that. And that's why I have been such a fan for so long of Dr. Ben Lynch, because he is one of the go-to sources in this whole world. And what I love about his approach is it's very comprehensive. It's not fear-mongering when it comes to, you know, you have this gene, this is your destiny, this is what this means. I read his book quite a while ago when it first came out, Dirty Genes, and I just revisited it. And it's amazing. It goes deep into the potential quote, dirty genes that you might have. And we'll talk about what that means and what that might mean for you. So yeah, that was a a long-winded intro, but I am so excited about this conversation. And Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for being here. Awesome to be here, Melanie. So my listeners are probably familiar with you, but I will tell them a little bit about your background. So Dr. Lynch, he earned his Bachelor of Science in Cell and Molecular Biology from the University of Washington. He obtained a doctorate of naturopathic medicine from Vassar University. And as I mentioned, he is the best-selling author of Dirty Genes and a leader in the field of nutrigenomics. And he's also the president of Seeking Health, which is a company that provides supplements, courses, and tools designed to help people overcome genetic dysfunction and optimize their health. And so I'm sure we'll talk all about that in this show. But to start things off, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal story and what brought you to where you are today with your whole focus on genetic health, health and wellness in general, and all of that? Yeah, sure. So I've been always a very curious person. I love to read. I love to explore. I'm the kind of guy that goes on a hike and I reach the top of a hill and I see a hill in the distance and I have to go down and back up and see another hill and I just keep going. So I'm always seeking and kind of saying that it it kind of makes sense why my company is called Seeking Health, isn't it? (laughs) I was just thinking that when you said that. Yeah. Because, you know, you're never, you, you can never really stop, right? I mean, it's, you can, but then life would be boring and you would not get as much out of it. So when you're constantly seeking health and you're constantly moving forward and or sideways and then eventually forward and sometimes backwards sometimes you fall down you know if you're you're always in motion you know you're you're going to end up somewhere i believe better than where you started and growing up i struggled with all sorts of things and some things i i even forgot happened to me as a as a young kid that were very very embarrassing i shared on a podcast for the first time last week, and I'll share it with you all now, is I was in fifth grade. I even forget the name of this diagnosis at the moment, but I pulled my hair out as a kid. I mean, like literally had a bald spot on the top of my scalp from stress and anxiety. And it was soothing for me to pull my own hair out. And I had this like four inch round spot of no hair and kids would make fun of me. and, And I was a nerd and I was also into sports, but I also grew up on a ranch and I would get sick. I, you know, nosebleeds all the time. I'd, I would be exhausted all the time. We would spray chemicals on the ranch. Or I would spray chemicals on the ranch, getting rid of Canadian thistle and, uh, you know, so the horses didn't get it in them or I'd spray tansy so they wouldn't eat it. And I'd be doing this in shorts and a t-shirt and, and 
you know, tennis shoes and I'd be soaked with Roundup. And it got to the point, Melanie, where I couldn't even mix or be around Roundup without getting a headache. And I didn't know what that meant. I just had a headache. So I grew up with all these issues growing up, as, as we all do. We all get symptoms. But I, I didn't like not understanding why I had these symptoms. And then, you know, I eventually learned, you know, skipping many, many years ahead, when you start under, understanding of how the body works, you can reverse engineer of how you got sick and support the body in the way to help reverse it. And the moment when I saw that Tale of Two Mice video on Nova, where the researcher took genetically susceptible mice, which were programmed to get diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. And all she did was alter the nutrients in their food. And they never even got any of those conditions. I'm like, what the hell? I thought when you're genetically destined to something like cancer or cardiovascular disease or diabetes, that you were just destined to get that stuff. And here she is. All she did was alter the food. They didn't get them. And I literally put my hands on the table and I forgot I was on a rolling chair and I, I pushed hard against the, the table and I slammed <laughs> the shelves behind me. And I, I like, that's what I want to do. I just was so excited. And I still am I'm giddy even just talking about that because it's what I do to this day. And that was like more than 10 years ago. That is so incredible. Makes me smile. I think so many people often do have that epiphany where, so like this just happened with my mom because she has a genetic tendency towards something with her, how she processes cholesterol. It's not APOE4, but it's something else. Her doctor wanted her on statins and all of this stuff. And she decided to do a dietary change for like um, a month. And the doctor was floored like at, <laughs> at how it changed her cholesterol levels and said he like needed to, you know, rethink basically you know, <laughs> what he was doing. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So speaking to that, th there is this idea often that our genes are our destiny and the whole concept of, so these genes that seemingly quote, go awry and seem to be our destiny for these different conditions, whatever they may be. So there's this idea of SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms. And basically this idea that there's, you know, a switch in the gene that makes it perform differently. And you talk about this in your book, these changes in genes that potentially can cause problems. Like evolutionarily, do you think they had like a, a purpose? Like, why do you think our genes quote, go awry? Are they even going awry or is there a purpose there? Wow. That's a great question. Thank you for asking it that way, because so many people just start talking about SNPs and being bad, and it just causes people to tune out because we want to protect ourselves from negative information and thinking too hard because <laughs> it uses energy, which, you know, it's easy for us now to reach in the fridge and get energy, but, you know, we still have that ancestral brain to protect us from expensive energy. So I would say that you, you nailed it on the head. Are they even, are SNPs even bad? Are these little changes that we've inherited from our mom or our dad, are they actually bad or were they selected for over generations? And I would say for the most part, the genes that I work with, dirty genes, are genes that we've inherited from our ancestors. And at the time, 
they were evolutionarily at an advantage for inheriting those. Now, you and I, Melanie, are no longer, and you listening, are probably no longer even close to where your ancestors were 200, 300 years ago in terms of the environment and what has evolved since then. I mean, horses and buggies and and cars and jets and planes and Teslas and, you know, EMF and Wi-Fis. I mean, all this is so new for our human body. And yet we just go through life thinking that it's fine and it's okay. The addictions to social media, the kids swiping constantly and incessantly through Instagram and they're becoming a user, literally a user of Instagram, watching the movie Social Dilemma. You all got to do that. I watched that. Yeah. Oh, goodness. But I would say the bottom line is, is, as I talked with a brilliant doctor, Dr. Robert Navio, who's a researcher at UCSD, is just amazingly brilliant, puts me to shame in terms of what he knows about genetics. He's just amazing. And he said, Ben, you know what you do? He goes, you, you study genes that have eco-alleles. And he goes, an eco-allele is a variant in a particular gene that has been selected for based upon where that individual's ancestors, it allowed them to adapt in a beneficial way to that environment. But we've pulled ourselves out of that environment and we're living in a completely different environment, way faster paced, way more full of chemicals way more electrical interference, which is confusing our genes in a big, big way. So like in dirty genes, the seven that you picked, those are ones that are equal alleles? Yeah. So like, you know, celiac disease or cystic fibrosis, right? So these, these are, are really set and cystic fibrosis, you, you know, as of today, as far as I know, I'm, I'm no cystic fibrosis expert at all. But, you know, you, you have an inability to do stuff with chloride, you, you, you struggle. And with celiac disease, you can't touch gluten. I mean, you just can't touch it. Done. That's it. That's the solution. And then hemochromatosis, you have high iron and you can do things to mitigate these things and support them, but you're locked in. I like to look at genes that you're not locked in, and, but they increase susceptibility to a number of different things. And if you are born with a MCFR gene variant that is, is slower, there are some evolutionary advantages to that. But, you know, if you are not consuming leafy green vegetables, if you're not eating liver, blech, I don't eat liver either, but, you know, I probably should, but I do eat my leafy green veggies. And, but if you're not, and you're consuming folic acid, which is a new introduction into the world, you know, or you're stripping the, you're eating refined flours, which are a new introduction to the world, you know, you're, you're getting yourself a dirty empty Jafar and that snip is going to become problematic. That answer is one of the questions I was going to ask you, because you talk about in the book about how you selected the seven that you do focus on. And you're talking about how they're easy to, to clean or scrub, but how there were other ones that are not as easy to, and that makes sense. So some of the genes, like you said, you're sort of locked into having to do things to address them. Yeah, but you're, that is a great question. And I will dive in a little bit on that. So there's, there's about 18,000 genes in the human body, give or take. And I've got seven, really. And, and you're supposed to get benefit out of not even a tenth or a hundredth. or I didn't, even, I didn't even hit the thousandth support. Or maybe I did I. No, I didn't. So, you know, I didn't even hit a thousandth of, of utility in terms of discussing genes. 
So how can the book Dirty Jeans help you if I discuss only seven out of the 18,000? It seems like it's, you know, potion, just nonsense. So what I did, it was difficult. It was very, very hard because my understanding of about a hundred genes, maybe 150 tops is actually pretty good. I mean, I can, I can talk about a, probably 150 genes very well about what they do and how you can support them and, and so on. And so I had to whittle that list down to seven. And how I did it was it evolved as I wrote the book. The list changed, actually. And I felt bad for doing it, but I, I had to. So what I ended up doing is I ended up picking genes that really affected major bodily systems. And I'm talking cardiovascular system, digestive system, neurological system, detoxification system, right? So I picked genes that had major, major influences on these systems. So if I pick these genes that had major impact in all these systems, and then you supported them in every one of those systems, the individual should get better, right? They should improve. And that's what happened. And so this wasn't, I wasn't just pulling snips and genes out of my butt. I've been working with genes uh, on clients for a number of years and working with doctors on a number of years and teaching about it for many years before I even wrote the book. So I had, you know, lots of evidence that this stuff worked. So by combining those seven, you know, when you're done reading the book, you've basically cleaned up all major bodily systems in your body and you're going to improve. Okay. I love hearing that. And now I'm dying to know what were some of the runner up genes that like almost made it <laughs> into the book? Yeah, that's a good question. I need to go back and look, but I know some, I, you know, superoxide dismutase SOD was a big one. That's a really big antioxidant gene. It's really, really implicated in, you know, how possibly, you know, with COVID or, or, uh, um, that's all I'll say about that. Cause I'm already shadow banned and then, you know, or exercise, you know, if you overtrain, you're, you're creating a lot of reactive oxygen species. So overtraining people with superoxide dismutase acting at a faster level are going to have a more difficult time recovering. They're going to be more sensitive to infections, but they might overcome them quicker, but they'll just be slower to recover from infections. They're going to be intolerant to just general, general things that trigger inflammation. So it's a really, really big one, and I can talk a lot about it and support them. But it was not as important as glutathione. And glutathione I did have in there, and I don't think I had a cardiovascular gene. And so I bumped superoxide dismutase for NOS3. I was going to ask. I was like, this is reminding me of NOS3. Exactly. So I picked NOS3 because if you have a dirty antioxidant system through glutathione or a dirty SOD, your NOS3 isn't going to work. So I kind of covered that basis by picking NOS3 because NOS3 is so sensitive. If, if you are dirty at all, pretty much any of these genes, your NOS3 is dirty. And that's why it's also the last one to clean up. So if you're sitting there or walking or running or driving your car right now, you know, tune into how your hands and feet are. Are your hands warm or cold? How are your hands, Melanie? They're cold. They're cold. All right. So you got a slightly dirty NOS3. Mine are slightly cold as well. And when we're, when we're so cerebral as we are right now, we're not really focused on our breathing. We're not breathing through our nose. We might be mouth breathing. I'm talking a lot. So, you know, I'm, my deep breaths are low. But if you're able to just focus right now, you know, feel the temperature of your hands. Now, focus on your breathing. 
breathe through your nose at a nice calm pace where you don't really feel the air coming in. Just nice, slow, even in and a nice, slow, even out. And you do it again and you relax. Do it again. And how's the temperature in your hands? Still cold? I'm trying to see if it's warming up. (laughs) I'm just starting to feel so zen. (laughs) Yeah. If you're sitting and you're hunched forward, it's going to be also harder to expand your lungs. Um, But you're not three. It's nitric oxide, oxygen. So you have to breathe and you have to breathe through your nose. So it's a really big one. So if you have cold hands and feet, I just really, really invite you to, to do nose breathing And look, the yogis, thousands of years have been talking about this, right? Tai Chi and Chinese also focus on slow movement and breathing and focus. You know, Chinese and East Indians know what they're doing. Yeah, actually, this is perfect timing. The the episode that aired today, like today's Friday that we're recording, was actually with James Nestor, who wrote the book Breath. And so that's been very present on my mind, the breathing. And then I loved reading your book. I don't think he talked about the James at all in his book, but he talked a lot about the breathing and all of that. So it was really nice to like have that additional context of everything. What I do is basically take the things that we all know, generally speaking, eating, you know, carbohydrates in excess is bad. Eating, you know, overtraining makes us feel tight. Drinking alcohol makes us feel sluggish sometimes. Uh, not eating salads is, can be bad for me. And sometimes I eat salads and I feel worse. You know, I, I explain the unexplainable, but I also explain the things that are common sense scientifically by looking at genetic function. And so it, it's really empowering for the reader or the listener. Once you start understanding what genes do and genes just perform jobs, that's it. They have jobs to do. And if, if your genes do not have the ability to perform, that means the job is not getting done, which means you're going to get symptoms. And so when you allow that particular gene to do its job and you provide the tools for it to do it and you don't distract it then or overwhelm it, it's going to perform for you and you know those symptoms are going to go away. So that's what ge- the power of genetics, when you use properly, can do for you. It empowers you to understand things that you do every day, like falling asleep or waking up or having attention or having a good mood or a bad mood, or being anxious or depressed, by knowing how your genes work, you can support all that stuff. Yeah, I love it so much. And listeners, you've got to get dirty genes because everything that Dr. Lynch just said, it's so approachable in the book. Like you go through the genes, the signs that you may experience and you know practical solutions through diet and lifestyle to address it. While we're still talking about NOS3, really quick random question. So, cause you talk about how the purpose of NOS3 is to make nitrous oxide, which dilates blood vessels. And when it goes awry, it makes superoxide instead. So is that a case of what we were talking about at the beginning where there was an evolutionary purpose to that? Like, why would it make superoxide? Like what's the purpose? So there's, I'm going to get a little geeky on you here. So there's, there's three different genes that make nitric oxide. And they do it in different areas of the body. So you have nitric oxide synthase 3, which is what I discussed in dirty genes, which is done in the endothelium. It's done in your blood vessels. Then you have, and then when nitric oxide is, is produced, that allows the blood vessel to expand and dilate and get bigger and allow blood flow. So think of nitroglycerin. 
Nitroglycerin is a medication that is used and developed by big pharma to increase massive amounts of nitric oxide. You also have those pills for men. What do you call those things? Oh my goodness, for erections. Blah. I know what you're talking about. Brain fart too. Yeah. <laughs> Not like Viagra or something. Yeah, there it is. So Viagra is a major nitric oxide producer. Major. Okay. <laughs> and so men, erectile dysfunction, they got a dirty nostri, filthy. And so if you clean up your NOS3, if erectile dysfunction is, is not mental, it's physical, cleaning up your NOS3 is, is really important. And so Viagra and uh, nitroglycerin are two medications that are used commonly to produce nitric oxide. The problem is, is they get resistance to both of these things, nitroglycerin especially. And I talk about this in the book. If, if this person is on nitroglycerin, and they take it in the, in the beginning, their, you know, their heart rhythms are good, their blood flow is good, their blood pressure goes down, their angina is gone. And then six months later, they go back to the doctor and it's like, well, guy, you know, my angina is back, my blood pressure is back up. What do I do? Well, just increase your nitroglycerin, but just take more. So they take more and they get some benefits and, and it starts working again. And now three months later, it's not working. And they go back to the doctor. They're like, doc, what the hell? Let's just increase the dose again. Now they increase the dose again. Now they come back in a month. So now they're resistant to nitroglycerin. What has happened? That nitric oxide that they were taking produced so much, or the nitroglycerin they're taking produced so much nitric oxide, and they've been low in glutathione the whole time from a dirty GST, dirty GPX gene that was never even addressed because doctors don't even look or talk about glutathione. And that nitric oxide has been turning into superoxide, which is doing the opposite of nitric oxide. It's actually causing vasoconstriction. And now they're resistant to nitroglycerin and they have to put on a different medication. And now they're chasing symptoms. So if I just described you, you've got to take it on some glutathione. You've got to get on some PQQ. You've got to reduce oxidative stress. You've got to lower your carbohydrate intake sugar intake, your alcohol intake, move maybe a bit more. If you're not moving, move a bit less if you're excessively moving. Does that make sense of what, what happened there? So what about people that aren't on any medications? So that can still happen though anyway? Yes. If you are consuming, say you're, you read that arginine is great for pre-workout, right? You're, my kids will take pre-workout before they lift weights and They'll get all macho and, you know, suck these things out. And I just smile, suck down a bunch of arginine. So for them, it's okay because they're young, they're 17 and they're healthy and they have a good workout. But if you are taking pre-workout and you actually have a worse workout, your glutathione levels are probably low. Exercise depletes your glutathione at the time, but exercise should also increase glutathione if you're doing it right after you exercise. The problem is some of us are addicted to exercise. Some of us overtrain and we find ourselves getting more and more fatigued over time. And we're so drilled that I've got to exercise because it's good for me and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to skip a day. And I'm going to get up at five 30 because that's when I have time to do it, even though I went to bed at 12 and I'm just going to bust my button and work out here. And your glutathione levels are low you're, you're going to get worse. I cannot tell you, Melanie, how many people I've worked with who have overtrained. I was one of them um, when I rode for the University of Washington crew team. It ground me into the ground. 
overtraining is a big one, even for healthy players, athletes. So, but you've got to keep your glutathione genes clean and you have to have your antioxidants on board. And a fast way to dirty up your pathways is overconsuming of carbohydrates. And here you are an athlete, maybe you're training for marathons and you've got those glucose gel pack thingies in your, in your bag, you know, your, your fanny pack or whatever, your arm sleeve, and you suck those down every two, three miles and you keep going where you, you create something called methylglyoxal, which you use as, it's just a really nasty compound and you need glutathione to get rid of it. And if you're running also in a polluted street, you know, maybe you live in New York City or LA or there's fires going on from all this fires that we had and you're, you're breathing down polluted air, you're depleting your glutathione as you're exercising and it's going to be a nightmare. I'm glad you brought up the methylglyoxal because didn't you say like can keto diets or high protein diets or other things encourage that? High protein diets can. A lot of people don't understand that some amino acids can can produce sugar. They, they, they get transformed into glucose. Not all proteins or not all amino acids do that. And I don't have the list handy in front of me. Um, I don't memorize that stuff. It's also why I draw pathways. So I don't have to memorize. Can't stand memorization. I like thinking. But you can look up which amino acids convert to sugar or glucose to be more specific. And then keto I've talked about this with Alessandro Ferretti, a, a dear friend of mine who lives in the UK, who's really knowledgeable about the ketogenic diet. And I talked to Mike Mutzel too about this. And I've talked with them about methylglyoxal and why it increases during ketogenesis. And I, I, anytime you throw a monkey wrench into somebody's passion where it could be a negative, it doesn't receive as much attention or focus. We all have that, that, uh, mindset with it. But that said, we all want to figure that out. They as well. But I think we just got stuck on a different rabbit hole at the time. But just keep in mind that if you are keto and you have a keto flu or what have you, maybe that keto flu is because you're creating more methylglyoxal that nobody's talking about and you need more glutathione. I don't know, you know, but I, I don't know enough about it, but it's something that I've read in the research. And methylglyoxal is just nasty. It's just not good. I zoned in on that when I read that in the book because I, I tend to follow a really high protein diet. And I was like, oh, might want to learn a little bit about this. Let's hit that real quick if we could. High protein diets like GAPS or carnivore, as Paul Saldino is, is talking about. You know, Paul's a great guy. I love Paul. And, you know, carnivore diet, he, you know, he does it right. Mike Mutzel does keto right. Alessandro does keto right. You can do these high protein, you know, keto things absolutely wrong. And a lot of people are doing it. Like just like genetics, a lot of people are doing it wrong. High protein diets can increase not only glucose, but they can also increase ammonia. And ammonia is super toxic. There's something that I did not talk about in the book, I don't think. Maybe I did. It's called nitrogen balance. Did I talk about that at all, Melanie? You did not, but that's one of my recent obsessions. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 46. I'm not growing vertically anymore. You know, my boys are growing vertically. Hopefully my middle boy stops because he's 15 and 6'5". Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a big boy. And he's, he's thick, too. He's really muscular. 16, 15? 15 and a half, yeah. So he's in high school and he's that tall. Yeah, and he just slams a ball. I mean, you don't want to play against him in basketball. He just dunks the hell out of that thing. Boom. <laughs> so he can jump, but he's got strong legs. I'd like to see him on the Husky rowing team. 
So, you know, boys are, and growing kids need protein. Pregnant women, breastfeeding women need protein. That is macronutrients are not often talked about enough in these situations. You talk about vitamins and magnesiums and, and you know, creatine and all these different things, but protein is, is lost. And Lily Nichols, who wrote the book, Real Food for Pregnancy, really harnesses and zones in on that point where women are, are very choline deficient, and they're, which is a healthy fat. What is choline anyway? Is it a fat? I don't even know. But it's a compound that you get from food. And I'll just leave it at that. It's found in meat products, typically in fish and eggs. And if you are deficient in protein during pregnancy, you're going to be nauseated. You're going to have decreased growth in your baby. You're just going to be feeling sick. You're going to be eating your own muscles. You're going to have brain fog, pregnancy head, you know, pregnancy brain. On the flip side, if you are eating too much protein because you're following paleo or gaps or carnivore and you're doing them wrong, and you're not growing, you're not exercising, you're not building muscle, you know, you're, you're creating that protein is breaking down into ammonia and you're, you're getting yourself very toxic because ammonia is toxic. If you are eating protein meal and just let's say this, if you eat a protein meal and you feel energized, it was a good meal. If you eat a protein meal and you felt okay, and now you're sleepy and then you have some brain fog, you ate too much. And if you did eat too much, you need to probably get some alpha ketoglutarates or some citrulline or some PQQ or some glutathione to try to burn out that ammonia. Do you know, is there more likely to be ammonia generation? So like if protein level was the same, if it's high protein in the context of lower carb or higher carb, or does that not even matter? Is it like once you have a certain amount of protein, ammonia? There's all sorts of different scenarios and nuances with that. So I will say that one thing I see in that is if you are eating a, just let's say a strictly high protein diet, nitrogen balance is still an issue. It's protein is a lot of nitrogen and protein, and then it breaks down into ammonia and your body pees it out. So if you, if you also eat a lot of protein and you, when you go to pee, does it smell like ammonia? Does it really foam? Does your urine really foam? If your urine has a strong odor to it, that's probably too much ammonia. Now, if you are also eating a bunch of, let's say you're, you're higher protein, but not crazy, and you're also eating carbs and fats, that's just a lot of fuel, right? That's just a lot of fuel. And so what's going to happen is you're going to burden your system with excessive amounts of fuel. And it's like when you put, you have a fire going. You know, you, you got the fire and you're camping and you, you want to cook and it's a nice, good fire. And then your kids come along and they're playing in the fire. And now they put, they threw 10 logs on the fire and you're like, no, 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 don't do that. You put the fire out. Now it's smoking like hell. And that's what happens when you eat too much in a meal. So if you eat just the right amount, you know, you're stoking your fire at the right amount and you got a nice slow burn and it's, it's creating energy for you. But if you put too much or too little you know, it's, or you put the wrong fuel, you're just going to put it out. Would an elevated bun also be an indicator of that? Nailed it. Yes, exactly. Okay. I've been having that a lot recently and they're always like, you're dehydrated. And I'm like, I think it's, I'm eating too much protein. Yes. And, and, and you, you got it. And Melanie, docs don't know this. They, they, nutrition in, in standard conventional medical schools 
you know, I don't care if they were top in their class at, at Duke or, or UW med school, which is, you know, top in the nation or Harvard med school, they don't learn this stuff. So yeah, you're, you're probably consuming too much protein. Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohackingconference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. 
On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. I knew it. This conversation was meant to be. But a lot of people are. A lot of people are. And I was too. I always get worried because my mom has always said since I was little, she's like, the liver regenerates itself, but you've only got like one set of kidneys or something. I don't know. So I'm like, okay. And one brain and one brain. So where are we at? We're, we're at 1140 right now. I have not eaten breakfast. I've hydrated. I'm not hungry at all. So some people will say, oh, that's your, your metabolically weak. Your, your stomach acid is low. Yeah, maybe. But I've also tuned in to eating when I'm hungry. And I, I, I want to credit Alessandro Ferretti again on that is he really drives home the point of, of eating when you're hungry, not eating when you're craving something. Oh, that sounds so good right now. I mean, chips, yeah, I'd love to have me a bag of chips right now. I'd love to crunch those things. They're fun and they taste good and they're, they just, but they make me feel like crap after. So my chip consumption these days has gone way, 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 way down. So and if you are eating out of a bag of chips, go to the bag of chips, bring yourself a little bowl, not a crazy bowl, and put the chips in the bowl, put the bag back in the cabinet, walk away, and eat it somewhere else. I haven't eaten either. It's 2.42 here. <laughs> yeah. And if you feel great, if you start noticing brain fog, you might be breaking down muscle as protein, which isn't good. So if you've noticed, there's, there's, a, there's a trick to you know being able to be metabolically flexible where you can actually burn fat. Because you and I right now, Melanie, we should be burning fat. If we're not burning fat because, you know, during our fast and we're actually burning protein, we are going to be increasing ammonia and making ourselves sick. So you can, you know, what I like to do sometimes, like if I wake up in the morning, I'm not very well rested. I will start the day with an acetyl L-carnitine, about 500 milligrams, and that will help me burn fat more effectively. It's not the only nutrient you need for burning fat. Acetyl L-carnitine doesn't burn fat at all. Actually, it just helps you transport fat in the mitochondria. And uh, acetylcarnitine is made through methylation. So if you have dirty genes, your ability to synthesize carnitine is lower. 
diet-wise, is carnitine highest in red meat? That's what I always think of. Yeah, that's that's my understanding too. And I, I love the work that Paul Saldino is doing with carnivore. You know, he was just recently on the Joe Rogan show too, which is awesome. And his book. Carnivore Code. Yeah, there it is. I've got it. I haven't read it. You know, I've I hung around Paul a few times and all of our conversations have always been super enlightening because we all think that we need vegetables and fruits. You don't. I mean, it's it's crazy to think. Paul does a great job of diving into that stuff. Yeah, I love Paul. For listeners, I've had him on the show twice, actually. So I'll put links in the show notes to those episodes if listeners would like to check them out. Speaking of brain fog, so I am currently experiencing some brain fog at this moment. And that is because there was a flood in my apartment. It was really terrible. So they just refixed the ceilings and painted. <sighs> and there are paint views. So I'm feeling my my GST, GTX, Jane, I think. Do you have an air purifier in there? I have. Well, not right now because we're recording. When we're not recording, I have like five air purifiers, like really intense ones. I already had them because I'm, I think we can talk about the GST, GTX genes. I'm pretty sure those for me have always been a thing. So I've always been super concerned about like keeping the air really purified and like all of that. So right now with these paint fumes, I'm thinking I might, I don't know, might go stay in a hotel. You should go grab one of those filters right now, Melanie, and bring it closer to you and just put it on low. Just have it right next to your desk. I do have one I could put on silent. Yeah, do it. Do it right now. We don't want you falling over on us. <laughs> Actually, maybe I will go turn it on. I'll put it on silent. Yeah, do it. Say, folks, you got you to gotta handle your dirty jeans. This is, this is it. You know, this is exact situation. You can't just let them go and, and persist because it gets harder to clean them up as, as fumes come in. And this is a perfect lifestyle example where it happens to all of us. I mean, our home was rebuilt just yesterday. I had people in our driveway and they were idling their cars where the air is in, you know, sucked into our home. And I'm sitting in my office and I'm starting to breathe carbon monoxide. I'm like, what the hell? And we had contractors sitting in our driveway idling. So I was like, uh, uh-uh. so yeah. So speaking of, so clearly the chapter on GST, GTX really, really resonated with me. Would you like to tell listeners a little bit about those two genes and what might be going on there? Yeah. So this is one of those genes. As I was writing the book, I was trying to write about GPX, which is glutathione peroxidase, which gets rid of hydrogen peroxide in the body. And hydrogen peroxide, you think, is that like hydrogen peroxide that I have to color my hair or clean wounds or you know, rinse my mouth out or, you know, doctors recommend. Yeah, that's the same one. Your body actually makes hydrogen peroxide everywhere. And so when you break down serotonin, you make hydrogen peroxide. When you are fighting infections, your body makes hydrogen peroxide because it kills bugs and viruses and and pathogens and it literally kills them. Hydrogen peroxide is also a, a signal for your immune system to to get to work. Hydrogen peroxide is generated from your DAO enzyme. So when you're breaking down histamine in your gut, you're generating hydrogen peroxide. So it's everywhere. And so, you know, it's pervasive. And so your glutathione peroxidase gene gets rid of it. And when you're breathing formaldehyde from, you know, new cabinets or new tables or new furniture or gas fumes, you know, when you light a gas stove, you've got formaldehyde combustion being produced. So that's a big issue. Chlorine, if you're a swimmer, 
you know, when you swim in pools all the time and your skin is dry and your hair is dry and that's all you worry about, but you're lowering your glutathione because, you know, chlorine exposure, that is eliminated again. You know, if you look at the science, chlorine is metabolized and eliminated from the body, just like formaldehyde, using glutathione. So glutathione is a massively important compound and we're using it up all the time in our bodies daily. And so if you are overtraining, using up your glutathione, if you're consuming a lot of carbohydrates, you're creating methylglyoxal and you're using up your glutathione. So GPX does that. Now, glutathione transferase is a GST gene. And I was trying to write the chapter on glutathione just using GPX. And I couldn't do justice because we're also exposed to arsenic and mercury and other chemicals in the environment. And so arsenic is, is eliminated from the body using GST. That's only part of it. But you need quite a bit of glutathione to get rid of arsenic and mercury and a lot of other things, a lot of medications. Tylenol, another one. So Tylenol is really nasty. My middle boy same kid who dunks, just had surgery on his big toe. He is taking Tylenol currently for the pain. I didn't want him on any crazy meds, but I've been giving him glutathione as he's taking the Tylenol to replenish him. So those are the, the two genes that are in one chapter. It's not really seven genes in the book. There's eight. Yeah. So a super seven sounds better than the elite eight. So anyway, that's a bit about that gene. It's a tangent question. How do you feel about aspirin? Aspirin is hard on the gut. That is one of the number one causes for emergency room visits is NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, because they, they erode your gut lining. Why? I couldn't really tell you the mechanism. I don't remember, but I know they're really, really hard on the gut. And I've been giving Matthew, my middle boy as well for the surgery, he's been taking some ibuprofen because the Tylenol wasn't enough. So I give him some optimal GI uh, capsules alongside of it, which are demulcents and healing the gut. So I've been giving the glutathione to counteract the Tylenol, and I've been giving him gut demulcents and gut healing, zinc carnosine and what have you, in addition to the ibuprofen to support his gut, because I could reckon. Plus he was on IV antibiotics because they're working on his toe, which is a nasty environment. So I've got him on probiotics and Saccharomyces boulardii as well. Okay. I, I always like to ask about the aspirin because it's one of the few things I'm torn about potential health benefits versus the issues with the gut. And like a lot of people in like the repeat community who take aspirin as like a health supplement and they take it with K2, they say mitigates the damage to the gut. I don't know. Aspirin, I'm like torn about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not well-versed enough. You know, Pete is a brilliant guy, got an avid following, but I would just say be very mindful if you start noticing you're getting more reflux or you're having some more left-sided discomfort or certain foods that didn't cause you problems are now causing you problems. Maybe you, you are more reactive to foods that you didn't used to be. I would, you know, a baby aspirin would definitely be my pick, you know, but why can't you use things like serapeptase or natokinase? I love serapeptase and my listeners love serapeptase. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why, why can't you use enzymes? Why do we have to go to a medication? The more natural we can go about it, Ideally, that's the way you go. Sometimes you can't, you know, if, you, if you're pregnant and you have, you know, prothrombin issues and you got clotting disorders, Lovenox, yeah, go for it. Be monitored, of course. Lovenox can be fantastic, you know, and possibly even a baby aspirin on top of it. You know, there are times when medications are, are needed, but if you're trying to go optimal, you are truly seeking health. I, 
I just be careful about medication use. I know some people are in the, you know, taking, was it metformin for their, you know? The other one I'm curious about, I've been taking berberine though recently. I've been experimenting. Yeah, I think berberine would be better. Berberine can be hard on the gut too. Metformin actually inhibits the DAO enzyme and you can get histamine related symptoms. So if let's say you were drinking wine before and you were fine and now you're taking metformin and you take a couple sips of wine and now you just, you know, you don't feel good from just a couple sips of wine or you can't eat oranges anymore. You can't have shrimp or fish anymore. You're more prone to diarrhea or looser stools or, you know, or acid reflux. That's the metformin. It does things with your B12. So you got to make sure you're not getting uh, deficient in your vitamin B12, monitoring your MCV, MCH. So again, when you do these one things that you're, you're hearing in the research and you're hearing from brilliant people, recommend them. There's a lot of things that a lot of brilliant people don't know. You know, that's why we have to work together. Yeah. I feel like metformin gets discussed so much by a lot of people I really respect. And that's why I've always been like, hmm, I'm like curious about it. But I've been wearing a CGM for like about a month now. I tried berberine and the effects I've seen on my blood sugar have been insane. <laughs> like I'm like, wow, you just touched on DAO. So a lot of people I think struggle with histamine overload and you know responses to food and flushing and swelling and all of these things. For people who do have issues with their DAO gene, questions about that. If people go on like a low histamine diet, do you often find that they can, like, does the histamine like build up and then you, you can like clear it out and then like, so will the DAO basically be dysfunctional for life or can you clean it up and then it can handle histamine again? That is a very loaded question. Very good one. My brain went and like scattered in about 20 places. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. But that's kind of how my brain works. I just see all the pathways and it just goes everywhere. Keep in mind that if you have a, a SNP in your DAO gene, meaning you have a, a, a variation in how your DAO gene works compared to what's typical in the population, and that variant might slow your particular gene down. And let's talk a little bit more about SNP. SNP stands for, as Melanie already talked about, single, single, one, nucleotide, like a you know DNA base, polymorphism, a, a difference, a change, a variation. And so you have a one, one DNA base change, one. And a DAO gene, I'm curious, I'm going to look it up real quick. So AOC1 is the official name. And I'm going to go to gene cards. And I'm going to look here. So diamine oxidase is what the gene's name is. So this gene is 36,878 bases long. Oh my goodness. And one of those is different? One of those is different. Are there like DNPs, double nucleotide polymorphisms? There are uh, copy number variations. There are deletions. There are insertions. So you can have an insertion of like a whole bunch of gobbledygook that got put in there. So like you can have an insertion in your dihydrofolate reductase gene, DHFR, where it'll, it could insert like 20 DNA bases. And that's not like a single nucleotide, but, you know, so Stratagene looks at DHFR, where there's a couple other insertion deletions. And then you have GST can also be a deletion insertion. So your glutathione transferase is, is actually one of those as well. There are looking at the SNPs in DAO gene. You ready for this? Guess how many variants there are in the AOC1 gene for DAO? AOC1 is, is synonymous, by the way, for DAO. It's, it's actually the official gene name. 
but DAO, how many variants do you think, how many SNPs do you think have been identified in the DAO gene? So like the potential for SNPs in the DAO gene? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many? I'm guessing it's probably either like a ton or not a lot at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So pick one. A ton. A ton. 9,203. Okay. I was going to say like the top, the whatever, however many thousands you said there are. So 9,000. Oh my goodness. Potential. Wow. Yeah. And so genecards.org is a phenomenal website for, for geeks and nerds. So, you know, go there and it will talk about rabbit holes. It's, it's extremely scientific and you, you might not understand anything that you're looking at. But as, as anytime you're, you're looking at something like genecards.org, you, you want to you look for things that you recognize. So find something that you recognize and look at it. So they have like uh, structural variations from database of genomic variants. That's where I, that's where I found the 9,203 variations. And these are not just all SNPs. They're also copy number variations and other things. Now, what you need to understand is not all SNPs are bad. Some SNPs have no effect on the gene at all. None. Some have is very significant and some have you know, just a little bit. And so Stratagene identifies, I think, two or three commonly found genetic variants in DAO. And you're thinking, well, why only three? Because that's what literature is researched heavily. So 23, well, Stratagene will only report genetic variations, i.e. SNPs or deletions or what have you, that have a lot of evidence behind them. So even though there's 9,203 variations in the DAO gene, does not mean they're all studied. They're not even close. We're, we're in a new era right now. Okay. So you cannot just look at all the variants and say, oh, those are mutated and those are all problematic. You have no idea. Some can be faster or slower. So back to your original question, which was? <laughs> it was, so if a person has histamine overload in their body and they clear out the histamine, if there's an issue with their DAO gene, to what extent, like, will they be able to tolerate histamine foods at some point? Do some people need to just never touch histamine? Right, right. Yasmina Elkenstam passed, unfortunately, and she was really, really brilliant with histamine. And she originally wrote a book, I believe, called The Low Histamine Chef. Okay, yeah. She passed away? Yes. She wasn't that old, right? No, she was not breast cancer. Oh man, I did not know that. That's really sad. Yeah, it's horrible. She was a great lady. So I've interviewed her a couple times and she's interviewed me a couple times. And, and so every time in our discussions, they, they always, we, I, we both grew in our knowledge and our understanding of, of histamine. And it was always fun talking with her. I learned from her, she learned from me and we just feed off that. She said, you know, Ben, I... I was the low histamine chef in the beginning. So I was always promoting low histamine foods and low histamine drinks and low histamine diet. And then I realized it wasn't about that. It's so she shifted it to from low histamine chef to healing histamine. I remember that. Yeah. Right. So she had this major transformation. And because if you are, if you are living a life of, of consuming low histamine foods and, and low histamine drinks, or low histamine probiotics, then you are not getting the diverse microbiome that you need. And if you're not getting the diverse microbiome that you need, you are causing problems. 
And research shows that if you are consuming a diet that is low histamine or or low oxalates or or you know or low whatever, what happens is the microbiome that thrives off of that stuff, it actually works on it, they get even fewer. So if you had histamine degrading bacteria that fed off the histamine and you're a low histamine diet for a long time, those now bacteria, the microbiome that were there as residents no longer have a job to do and they disappear. So then you try to reintroduce histamine and you react worse than you did before because your microbiome shifted. So you have to keep in mind, I see people on a low oxalate diet, a low sulfur diet and low histamine diet. They're on all these low, low, low diets and they're, they're, they're only eating like 10 foods. And now their diversity is down, their energy is down and that now they're in a real sticky situation. So how do you get out of that, right? What I like to do is, you know, as I just got off the interview with Dr. Shalise Pratt, who practices in Colorado at the Pratt Clinics, phenomenal doctor, really good. She goes, you need to always look for the causes of the histamine and reduce them. So if you order a, a stool test, like from GI, or from GI 360 from Doctors Data, which is a stool test that I like these days, I'm ordering it for me and all the boys, it's actually it's on its way, I believe, to our home. If you have bacteria that produce huge amounts of histamine and you're having a you're following a low histamine diet, but you have Blastocystis hominis in there, then Blastocystis hominis is producing heaps of histamine. Well, you can be on a low histamine diet all you want, but that Blastocystis hominis is just having a heyday in there and you need to get rid of it. So, you know, and, and this is the other thing too, I've transformed a little bit on Melanie is is I used to drop bombs on the microbiome. I mean, I used to like nuclear, you know, nuclear war, you know, and I've learned that beneficial bacteria secrete compounds which kill candida, which kill E. coli, which kill Blastocystis hominis. So in my research, I'm trying to create actually probiotic formulations that target these things and kill them through how we should be killing infections in our gut anyway versus just killing everything. You have a probiotic supplement that is specifically like low probiotic strains or histamine degrading strains by Seeking Health? Yeah, probiotic histaminics. Do you find that selectively using strains like that can be pretty beneficial for supporting the histamine? It's been life-changing for me and, and one other family member in our home, Matthew. I'm picking on Matthew a lot today. But Matthew and I, it, it transformed us. But you know, I do take probiotic every night and I give it to all the, all the boys in the family. So we have three boys and we all get probiotic every night. That's that histamine. Yeah. That histamine degrading probiotic. Yeah. You know, I, I, I firmly believe in the pulse method, which I discuss in the book, dirty genes, where, you know, you, you should take nutrients as you need and change it up and skip supplements. You know, maybe, maybe you don't need a multivitamin every day. Maybe you don't need glutathione every day. I pulse glutathione. I, you know, right now, not only you need glutathione from your environment, right? I need some too from the car exhaust yesterday and I feel it right now. I, I could use some right now, but I have a slightly foggy head probably because I haven't eaten too. Speaking of the glutathione, because I know glutathione is really hard to absorb, I believe when it's taken orally. So how can, besides like eating foods to support it, like I do have glutathione in my fridge for like to inject, <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, as far as supplementing glutathione, are there ways to do that? Like liposomal or the stuff in my fridge? I tried it the other day though and it burned. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. You tried to take the, the injectable? I tried to inject it. Yes. <laughs> it was a fail experiment. <laughs> I mean, I've done it in doctor's offices. I've never been taking, you know, taking that stuff home. That's interesting. You biohackers. These are the things I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do things that, you know, again, Alessandro talks about the three F's, friends, fools, and family. So there's a lot of testing on me and the boys and, and, and my wife as well, if she's up for it. And she usually is. Um, so I test a lot of supplements on, on our th- us all before we go to market. So like probiotics was was tested heavily by me and the boys and Nadia and uh, and others. Yasmina Elkinstam also took it and tested it out. So with glutathione, liposomal glutathione is phenomenal. It's great. It's very well absorbed and it gets the job done. And when you have a good liposomal glutathione, you can put some in your mouth. It tastes like trash usually. Can't taste worse than injecting it burns. That's all I know. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, there you go. But the the result you get from the glyposome glutathione is fantastic. It can be, but it can also cause crazy side effects in other people. So and the another form of glutathione is called S-acetyl glutathione. And that is oral encapsulated, not liposomal. And the S-acetyl glutathione is great because anytime you, not anytime, but oftentimes when you acetylate a compound, that acetylation gets, acetyl group gets cut off by stomach acid, thereby conserving whatever else that acetyl group was attached to. So S-acetyl glutathione is protected against stomach acid and you need the stomach acid actually to cleave off that acetyl group. So you absorb the glutathione. Uh, I actually see supplement companies who encapsulate S-acetylglutathione in an acid-resistant capsule. And that, I think, is bad. That's just not good. That's just not going to work. You know, they're, they're being protective with the glutathione, which is great, but you should put reduced glutathione in an acid-resistant capsule, not S-acetylglutathione. And I talked to the ingredient manufacturer of S-acetylglutathione before we encapsulated it. I said, do I put this in an acid-resistant capsule or regular capsule? So definitely regular capsule. I said, done. So we have S-acetylglutathione in a capsule and in liquid liposomal. And I prefer the liposomal, A, because I believe it's, it's even absorbed better. S-acetylglutathione does have evidence and good evidence of increasing glutathione levels, according to research. But the liposomal, I feel instantly and I can regulate the amount that I want. So I can just put a few drops in my mouth and wait and I hold it and I wait and I wait for my head to clear if I feel nothing. I take a little bit more and then uh, I hold it and I start feeling my head clear. I might take a touch more. And then when my head feels like it's not clearing anymore, I stop. So as I talk about in the book, Dirty Genes, a lot, you got to tune in. So when you're taking supplements, you have to know the effect of what they're supposed to do and then wait for that effect to see if it actually occurs. And so I teach you what you should be learning uh, or looking for when you take a supplement. If you feel more anxious or headachy from taking glutathione, there is reasons for glutathione side effects, which are uh, not commonly discussed, and they should be because it's it's common. Is it a detox effect with the glutathione or something else? No. I mean, maybe to some regard, but the majority is because the cofactors are not present. Anytime you use glutathione, glutathione is, is doing a lot of things, and glutathione becomes damaged. 
And as so you have, it's like vitamin C, you take vitamin C, it does its antioxidant thing, and then it becomes damaged. And you need glutathione to regenerate your vitamin C. When you take vitamin E, the same thing. So antioxidants work and then they get damaged and they become pro-oxidants. So when you are taking glutathione, it's an antioxidant first, and then it becomes a pro-oxidant. And if you are deficient in riboflavin, that is what recycles that damaged glutathione back into useful, reduced, useful, ready to be used again, glutathione. And it does that through the glutathione reductase gene. And on the strategy report, my wife has a slow glutathione reductase gene. She has a slow glutathione peroxidase gene. She has a slow glutathione transferase gene, and she has a slow glutathione, I think it's synthesase gene. It actually makes glutathione. So her tired glutathione pathway is a just snail. She does very, very well with PQQ, which is pyroquinolone quinone as an antioxidant, and it does quite well. So she does well with that. And PQQ does not become a pro-oxidant until it's used up like 20,000 times, and then it's recharged from glutathione. And so in our optimal liposomal glutathione plus at Seeing Health, we have the glutathione, we have uh, riboflavin, we have some PQQ, and we have selenium, which you need selenium to for the glutathione to be used for the glutathione peroxidase. So there's selenium in there. And then you also have molybdenum which gets rid of sulfite. So anytime you are taking sulfur compounds like MSM or glutathione or N-acetylcysteine or eating cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, onions, garlic, meat, you are increasing sulfur compounds and then excess sulfur is eliminated in the urine, as we talked about earlier, and that it has to be that sulfur turns into sulfite and it has to be eliminated through the SUOX gene, which uses molybdenum which is surprisingly deficient in people, and it gets peed out as sulfate. So again, if your urine or your breath or your armpits smell like, you know, sulfur, you're probably eating too much sulfur. Your sulfites are probably too high. Your molybdenum is probably too low, probably taking too much sulfur-based supplements, eating too much sulfur-based foods. Like you're, you're hearing on the internet, you know, to drink a bunch of you know, put a lot of kale in your smoothie and eat a bunch of broccoli and, you know, eat a bunch of salmon and take a bunch of glutathione and you feel like crap. Well, there you go. You're overloading your genes. For listeners, don't worry. There is a transcript of this episode in the show notes. And then I'll put links to everything in the show notes. So have no fear. It's all there. I'm getting really excited right now. I'm going to order that supplement like right after this, because I, I've supplemented individually with all of those like PQQ. I can never say the word. How do you say it? The Molly. <laughs> molybdenum. I don't know. I can spell it. <laughs> molybdenum. That's how I say it. I don't know if it's right or not. And then the selenium and then, well, glutathione. So all together. So liposomal. So is it, is it a liquid? Like you take it on like a spoon? Yep. Yeah. So I, I just flip the cap and I, I just drop it in my mouth. So you, anytime you're, you know, taking a supplement from a container like that, hold your breath so you don't breathe on the lid you know, or touch it in your mouth, right? So just hold your breath as you drop it in your mouth. That way it keeps clean and you can flip it back closed again. So my boys, I'll just line them up in, in the house and they'll see me pull out the glutathione and they're just, they all want to run away with their tail between their legs. Because you said it doesn't taste the best. No, but I'll, I'll I literally, when they're little, uh, it was easier. because I just like, stand here, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would squirt the liposomal vitamin C in their mouth because it tastes good. So I was just going to squirt, squirt, squirt. 
and then I hold that and then I'll squirt the glutathione and their facial expressions will change. And I was like, hold, hold, hold. Okay. Swallow. And they're like, damn it, dad. And they're like, I'm going to school. I just brushed my teeth. Now I got glutathione breath all day. <laughs> yeah. What you see at the Lynch household. So holding it in your mouth, does a substantial amount more get absorbed? Yes. You feel it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I, I wish I had it right here because I, I would feel it. And so would you. So a little story. My wife would take the liposomal glutathione, so the optimal liposomal glutathione from seeing health, feel terrible. She just didn't good. She'd get irritable, weird, funky stomach stuff, headachey, sore joints, just not good. And her glutathione levels were low on her labs, and it was frustrating. So a lot of people experience that, not just her. And so finally, I just dove into, you know, when enough people cry, and then struggle with something, I dive into the research, especially with your wife, and you figure stuff out. So I put those things together and I learned that, you know, I give her some PQQ and I give her some riboflavin and give her some selenium, which she already had sufficient selenium on board. But, uh, and I give her a little molybdenum and she would do great. So I put all those together in one supplement. And a lot of people who do not do well with liposomal glutathione do very well with the optimal liposomal glutathione plus. Those cofactors are massively important. It's, 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 if you just focus on the glutathione utilization and the recycling itself, you're going to miss the boat. You also need the antioxidant potential of the PQQ, and you also need the sulfate, sulfite reduction of the molybdenum. Those are really, really key. And it's, it's been a huge boon for Nadia. It's, it's massive. Well, liposomal glutathione plus and the PQQ for her have been phenomenal. And then I share that story with people on, on Facebook and Instagram and people comment and like, oh yeah, I've been trying what Nadja does and it's really been a game changer for me. Yeah. Do you know IV glutathione? Scares the hell out of me. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Scares the hell out of me. Why? Unless there's cofactors put in there and most doctors don't. Look, a lot of people who need IV glutathione are quite sick and their oxidative stress is already pretty high. Vitamin B2 riboflavin for some reason is very deficient in people. Selenium is also pretty commonly deficient, not as much, but it's there. And then molybdenum is, gosh, is deficient in, in lots of people. And you can't really test molybdenum from, from my experience. So it's one of those empirical things that you you do on people and it's like, yeah, I, I feel way better with adding the molybdenum in there. And we actually have molybdenum drops, which people can add 25 micrograms at a time. So if you take the liposomal glutathione plus and it's, you still feel not quite good, maybe you need to have the molybdenum drops, maybe take a few more drops to, you know, increase the molybdenum level. But IV glutathione just scares me. Some people have phenomenal success from it and that's great. And let's say you take one IV glutathione, you do great. And you come back for the second one because you're so excited how much better you are. You go to the second one and you feel better, but just not quite good. It's like the nitroglycerin, right? And you go in for the third IV glutathione because you're on a series and it's cheaper. You got a discount and you're just like, why not? Right. And you're detoxing. And now the third one, now you just, well, you don't feel so good. You go for the fourth one, bam. Now you're having some slight breathing issues. Your, your skin is itchy. It's red. Uh, your breath is horrible. Your your pee is super sulfury, and you just you're afraid to go back because now it's just destroyed you, and you you actually haven't recovered from it still. 
So that is a common issue. And people will say, oh, you're just detoxing. I'd love to swear right now, but I won't. It's nonsense. It's they've you've burdened, you've created dirty genes from the amount of workload you have. If you're the go-to person in your business and everybody comes to you to get stuff done, or you're the go-to employee, you, there's only a, a certain amount of work that you can do before you just crack and you just burn out or get sick. It's the same as your genes. So you can't overload them. The reason I was wondering was, so I had really severe mercury toxicity. Like my blood levels were like over 30. I did about six months of chelation uh, pharmaceutically, but it was like DMPS pushes with, with glutathione as well. And I would feel like fantastic from it. And then in retrospect, I was like, maybe I was just feeling fantastic from the glutathione push because I feel like the whole process though, while I got my mercury down, like did a number (laughs) on my body. So now I'm very hesitant about a lot of things like pharmaceutical chelation. I was like curious about the glutathione. The DMPS and the glutathione definitely helped you for sure. But yeah, if it's, if there's any components that are missing, your kidneys are got overwhelmed, your brain got overwhelmed. You know, I don't remember the half-life of DMPS. I think it's a bit longer than DMSA. Um, DMSA, I believe the half-life is four hours. DMPS is a bit longer. I think it's like 12 or something or six. But at the end of that half-life, wherever that DMPS was in your body bound to the mercury, it just dumps it. It dumps it, right? So I believe if you're doing an IV chelation with heavy metals, you know, okay, yeah, it's needed and it's effective and it helps a lot of people. But I also believe people should be put on oral chelation, things like DMSA, if it's even available anymore. It's in my cabinet. Yeah, I've got some sneaky ones in there in my cabinet too. Like Australia or somewhere I ordered it from. <laughs> yeah, but you take that as the half-life is is dumping and you're losing the half-life from the DMPS, you can supplement with the DMSA and you can sauna, right, to to keep that movement going so you don't just dump all the, the mercury in one spot. You know, so that just, you know, if you're just doing IVs and that's it, scary. Adding the glutathione, good. Adding a bit of oral DMSA, better. Adding sauna, even better. Adding colonics, better yet. Adding gallbladder, you know, circulation or elimination stuff, good. Making sure your bowels are moving, great. You know, binders, good, right? So there's a lot to it. I definitely did all those other things you just mentioned, but I do feel walking away from it, like, got the mercury down, but I feel like I just did a number, like I said, on my body. And now I'm very, very hesitant about that route. I don't think anyone really has the science down too much. Paul Anderson does a pretty good job with it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Going back to the, the first thing I brought up when we started the show, the MTHFR, because I know people want to know about MTHFR, because I feel like out of all of the genes, it might be maybe the most well-known or the most, I don't know, it comes with quite a reputation these days. I feel like doesn't a really, really large percentage of the population have some sort of SNP SNP with their MTHFR gene? The Chinese, the Hispanics, and the Italians have a very high prevalence of a significant MTHFR variation. Yes, upwards of, I want to say 20, 30, 40% of them. Okay, gotcha. I feel like that's the one that a lot of doctors are becoming more familiar with it. So they'll actually test for it and then people get diagnosed with it. And then they think they're like 
you know, that they're in big trouble. So what is the MTHFR gene? And if people have issues with it, like what can they possibly do to support it? I know there's a lot of confusion surrounding like B12 supplementation, folic acid, things like that. Again, with any gene, you have to figure out first, what does it do, right? What's its job? So the MTHFR's job is to make your body's primary form of folate called MTHFR. I actually found, just found some glutathione in my office. It's probably not the freshest, but yeah, I'm taking it. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's helping. It's helping. Good. So maybe I can be more coherent. I can't like just swallow the glutathione that's in my fridge, right? Uh, if it's IV, I'd be a little bit, yeah. I don't know what else is in there. Me neither. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, get some liposomal. So MTHFR's job is to make the body's primary form of folate called methylfolate. And methylfolate supports methylation. And methylation is just one of those activities that your body does day in and day out your whole life. Methylation supports many, many things. It supports the elimination of histamine, supports the first part of it, supports the first part of elimination of arsenic, supports the elimination part of it of estrogen, dopamine, transferring serotonin to melatonin, turning genes on and off. I mean, it's, it's hugely important, you know, supporting uracil to thiamine. It's, it's very, very important. So uh, making carnitine, making creatine, making phosphatidylcholine. So these methylation is, is crazy important. And MTHFR is kind of like the first domino. If you were to line up 10 dominoes, Melanie, on your desk, and you had to make phosphatidylcholine, dopamine, creatine, you know, get rid of some estrogens and, and histamines and all that, MTHFR would be the first domino, very first one to, to knock that over. So... That is why I discuss MTHFR in the book, because it does so many things. So if you have the MTHFR variant and you look at the report and it says, oh yeah, you're homozygous for 677, which is at position 677 in the MTHFR gene, you have a genetic variant. And I'm typing in gene cards now to see how long MTHFR is, because DAO is what, 37,000 bases long? MTHFR is 20,000 bases long, give or take. So the MTHFR is at position 677. There's this change from a cytosine to a thymidine, and that thymine makes it the shape altered a little bit because when you have a DNA base, you know, it sees proteins. And then when you have the protein structure a bit different, the shape changes. And as the shape changes, the riboflavin that's circulating in the cell and it gets in there, it doesn't bind to the receptor or it doesn't bind to the MTHFR's enzyme very well. And the MTFR enzyme doesn't work as well as it, if it, the shape was a bit different. So at position 677, the shape changes, riboflavin floats by, it doesn't really stick, right? And then, you know, if, the, if they have 1298, it doesn't stick as well either. That's actually a different type of variant, but anyway. So yeah, because I have the homogenous A1298C. Yeah. So the research on that one shows homozygous A1298C. It, so it's 1298 position. You have an adenine, adenosine switching to a, a cytosine. And that base change is changed its function. And this is at the, I believe, the N terminus, the end of the gene. And so it is less receptive to being turned off. So it's more apt to stay on. But the research is is a bit funky on it. Uh, research says even though it's at the end terminus, I believe it's, it's it's the end of the gene, 
there's C terminus and there's N terminus. I believe C is at the start and N is at the end, but I'm going from memory here, so careful. So that's supposed to be binding more SAMe to tell it to slow down and, and stop. But the research shows that it's not really playing with that. I probably shouldn't have even brought that up. I'm probably confusing everybody. And they're going to all go look up in the research and say, well, that's not what I heard. Research is confusing as all hell. The more you dig into it, the more conflicting papers you're going to find. And it, it gets really messy really fast. But what you what you need to understand with NPGFR is the nutrient needed. Genes make enzymes, most of them, a lot of them. And so the MTGFR gene makes the MTGFR enzyme. And the MTGFR enzyme uses riboflavin as the cofactor to make it go. If your MTGFR gene is totally fine, no variants at all, it's perfect. You have like the cleanest MTGFR gene in the world, but you're deficient in riboflavin, it won't go. It doesn't work. Okay? So people need to understand that. Yeah, it's, it's very, very important. So that is also why strategine is as useful as a genetic test, because we show you genetic variants if you have them or you don't have them. And we don't tell you they're bad or good. They're just different. And we tell you why they're different and how they're different. And we also show you the cofactors that they use, like riboflavin. And we also inform you about the lifestyle, the food, the environment, the things which slow it down and make it more dirty. And we also explain ways to make it cleaner as well. So you're, you're getting all that for like 170 different genes in the body or so. So what's happening is people are get tested for MTHFR and they ask for it. They ask their doctor, I want to be tested for MTGFR. And I'm partially to blame for this, having a website, mtgfr.net, that needs to be updated. That site is old, but the information is still good. I, I went through it and, and made sure the information is still accurate. It is. I went through all the articles and, and updated them. You can see my updates. I, I say that this was recently updated and making sure I was being in line and accurate. So it's current. It's just on a dated website and needs to be changed. But the, the go-to is to take methylfolate because if MTGFR gene's job is to, is to make methylfolate and you were born with a variant that slows it down, like 677 or even 1298, depending on what literature you read, you are then prescribed methylfolate by your health professional or yourself prescribe it yourself because you order strategine or some other genetic test and you found out you had MTGFR and now you're supplementing with methylfolate. First day, amazing. You feel great. Wow, God, I'm so glad I figured this out. Again, you know, you've been taking it every day now. You take a milligram of it and you have methylfolate. You feel good, good, good. And fifth day, you're like, you get a little bit more anxious. Sixth day, you take it again. You're a little bit more anxious. Next week, you keep taking it because, God, it made such a life changer. I can't be getting anxious or feeling weird from the methylfolate because it works so well in the beginning. And you take it, you know, now you're in week two. Now you got headaches every single day that just don't quit. And now you are irritable as hell. You're screaming at everybody and you just, and now you're starting getting tingling in your legs. Am I describing someone? Am I describing you possibly? Yeah. Cut the methylfolate out and take some niacin and neutralize those side effects. You've got to understand the function of the, the nutrient, what it does, how you feel when you're low in it, how you feel when you're too high in it. So I just took some glutathione and I took probably, it's a 500 milligram dose. I took probably, I don't know, I'm guessing about 300, maybe 250 milligrams of glutathione. It cleared my head, but now I'm a little bit anxious. Not anxious, but a little headachey because I took glutathione without any of the cofactors. 
So I'm not feeling ideal. My head is a bit better, but focused, but it's, it's heavier because I don't have those cofactors. I wish I had the glutathione plus, but I, I took what I had and see, here I am. I don't feel awesome. So getting fully straight from food, if you have the MTHFR issues, are you able to get enough from food? Will you ever have that potential, that issue that you just described, if it's natural folate from food? I believe so, yeah. See, I just took a PQQ now to neutralize it. My office is kind of my own little pharmacy. This is like real time. <laughs> yeah, it's real time. And, and my head is a lot better. I mean, it's, it's, thank God I had the PQQ here. So I took one of the lozenges and I bit it. And that was literally five seconds. I was going to ask, is that fast? It's that fast. So in five seconds, where does it go? And what does it address in five seconds? So I took the glutathione and remember I told you I took it. And so when you, you were phrasing the question of the empty Jafar, when I, about in asking about the, the prevalence of it is when I took the glutathione and I felt good, head cleared. And then it was just as I was sharing with you that I started getting this headachey brain fog. So that was what? few minutes, right? So the clarity was instant. The headachey feeling a bit funky was, was a few minutes later. The PQQ, I was like, well, I just reached out what I had here. It helped immensely within seconds. And now it's a little bit cloudy again. So I probably just need some food too. I'm just so like surprised that it happens that fast. It's crazy. It is crazy. When you're listening, you're like, oh, nonsense. But you know, think of it from a business standpoint. If I'm telling you it's that fast and it's not that fast and you take it and, you know, it's like, oh, he's full of crap, you know, then I, you know, I should be on the safe side and say it doesn't act that fast, if anything. But I really feel it. I am very tuned in. I'm, I'm pretty optimal. I mean, my labs are pretty spot on. I'm generally quite healthy. I need to exercise more, but I don't. But I'm still thin and fit and toned and strong. I just need to do more. I was doing great in the summer, but now I'm not. But anyway, I digress. Hi, friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard 
heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, PS. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits the longest lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. 
I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near-infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near-infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution and guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful 
for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a Juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. One more question about the folate and all of that. So like folic acid, does it help some people? Because I know there, there are a lot of problems and they started adding it, you know, to help with potential birth defects and things like that. How is it a problem and does it help? Because I, I remember I would always have this conversation with my mom and she's like, good thing they added it because it saved so many birth defects. So I found a, a paper that was published this year, and I posted it on my Instagram because I was so excited and so few people liked it. I was like, come on. <laughs> you sound like me. <laughs> yeah. The actual effect of folic acid in improving or reducing neural tube defects across all populations was very insignificant. It was really low. I thought it might be that. So it's because the research, the, the methodology of this, all the other studies showing that folic acid was actually effective, the methodology was not done properly. So methodology and research papers has to be done properly. And otherwise you get wrong data, right? Or you interpret the data wrong. And I don't remember what they did differently in this paper, but I read that. And I was like, oh my God, that is so brilliant. And I didn't even think of what they were, what they did they made some changes in how the research was looking at it and it was like a minimal effect. So here's the deal with folic acid. I have a whole article on drbenlynch.com on, uh, I think it's called folic acid side effects or something. And it's all researched. I've all, if you're, if you're a geek, which I'm probably, you probably are, it's all good. You, you go to drbenlynch.com, you type that folic acid side effects and, and there's, you're going to get a video there where I go over the science and I show you papers, I show you pathways, biochemical pathways, and some charts and diagrams and whatever else. So you can totally geek out. But I also provide all the citations at the bottom of the article. In short, folic acid is totally synthetic. It is, has no physiological use in the human body at all. Zero. None. Nada. Nothing. So so it can't be used. It, it can be used, but it has to be transformed by genes first. So the dihydrofolate reductase gene is the gene which takes folic acid and transform it into dihydrofolate. So that's the first step. And then from dihydrofolate, you go to tetrahydrofolate, then you go to some other methyl, then another folate group, then another type of folate. And then I believe you finally get to methylfolate. So you have all these different genes that you have to jump through in order to make Folic acid, I'm looking at my pathway in front of me here. See, I, I have to have stuff in front of me. So folic acid 
has to go through one, two, three, four, five, six steps as we know it today to be transformed into methylfolate. And I will tell you, Melanie, on the strategy and report, almost every report that I've seen so far, which is crazy, has slow folate metabolism. The whole, almost the whole pathway is slow. The whole thing. So the DHFR gene, slow. MTHFD1, slow. MTHFR, slow. TYMS, slow. SHMT, slow. SLC19A1 carries folate, slow. So if you're gumming up your system with folic acid, you are slowing the system down. And here's why. DHFR can process folic acid, yes. But DHFR has other jobs to do. It's not just processing folic acid because that's not even, wasn't relevant in our ancestors. Like, it's like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, it's like, exactly. Like 100 years ago, folic acid didn't even exist. And now DHFR has got this new job to do. But also at the same time, DHFR recycles biopterin. And biopterin is the, the necessary compound needed for our genes to make dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, also create the nitric oxide from your nitric oxide synthase gene. So if you're consuming folic acid, your dopamine, your serotonin, your norepinephrine, and your nitric oxide production are all going to struggle. That does not sound good. And your DHFR gene can metabolize folic acid. It could process it in amounts of 200 micrograms or less in a non-variant DHFR. So in a clean DHFR, functioning DHFR gene at its best, if it's not working on biopterin recycling or if it doesn't have a genetic variation, it can handle 200 micrograms. How many people are taking way more than 200 micrograms of folic acid a day? I was going to say, it's added to you know so much food. Yes. And so I think that's one of the main reasons why processed foods, well, one of the reasons why processed foods are so bad. And it can be healthy processed foods that you think are healthy, but if you flip over the label and you look at it, it's got folic acid in it. And you're like, damn, I like those energy bars. They don't have corn syrup. They don't have food coloring. They use good foods, but they enriched it with folic acid. It's everywhere. So you, you got to get rid of it. And I surveyed, I think, 5,000 people years ago, or I got 5,000 responses. I don't know how many I surveyed. And I asked what the number one thing that people learned from me was. And the, the, the top response was removing folic acid from my diet and lifestyle. They said it was a massive improvement. That's crazy. I, yeah, I was wondering if that might be the case with the research on the birth defects. It kind of reminds me of actually Dr. Alan Christensen, who introduced us. I just finished his book, The Thyroid Reset Diet, and he completely blew my mind about the research on iodine, how maybe that whole correlation to hypothyroidism might actually be the opposite with it actually causing thyroid issues rather than helping them. I want to be really respectful of your time. You did touch on one little thing just now with the dopamine and serotonin, which did relate to two other genes in the book that you talked about that I think would resonate with a lot of people. We don't have to go like super deep into it, but just for listeners, because they might identify with it and want to get the book to learn more, the COMT gene and the MAOA, what's going on with those? And also what's the difference? Because they seem to both affect like neurotransmitters and things like that. I know the MAOA has more to do with serotonin what might be going on there? Uh, a lot. Again, so I pick genes that do a lot of work in your body every single day, almost every single moment of every single day. One thing I want to say right now, why it's on top of mind, 
is let's say you get you grab the book 30 genes you do the laundry list one and two basically the quizzes and you find out that you know maybe your maui is really slow and your mtfr is slow and your dao is filthy your glutathione gene is actually pretty good and your pmt is is decent and then you take the tests two months later now your comt is fine your maui is fine your glutathione is actually filthy your dao is fine. You're like, what in the hell? What kind of book is this? Your, your genes have changed. Your lifestyle has changed. Everything is, all this is changing for you. And so having the book as a hard copy or paperback, hard copies is being discontinued finally. Uh, that's a bad thing for some people. The paperback allows you to take the quiz over and over again and your genes change. So you, it's, it's a, it's a guide. It's not just a book that you read once. It's a book that you're, you're going to reference your whole life and to help you out. Eventually you'll learn everything that's in that book and you won't even need to pick it up anymore. You'll just say, Oh yeah, my comp T is dirty today. It's slowed down. I got to speed it up. Right. So you'll, you'll remember all that stuff. So back to comp T and Mao A, these genes are very, very important and they're really heavily focused in neurotransmission really big players in neurotransmission. And so you can have any type of neurological disorder. You could have any type of mood disorder, any type. Compt and Maui are implicated in some degree. That's a bold statement, but it's, I would say, you know, I can't prove it's true, so I'm not going to say it's true, but hypothetically and theoretically, given their importance of where they are and what they do, yeah, there's something going on with these genes. I don't like disease labels. I don't like bipolar or Huntington's or Parkinson's or depression or anxiety. These are all just dirty genes, all of them. Some are harder to, to re, you know, help and, than others. I mean, Parkinson's, let's defeat Parkinson's disease. You know, let's kill COVID. Let's kill cancer. Wrong mindset, people. Wrong mindset. You got to support the genes. So when you identify that your CompT and MAUE are dirty, you can make a huge improvement. So the jobs of, of COMP-T helps process catecholamines. It stands for catechol-O-methyltransferase. So anything that you that is in your body that contains a catechol is processed by COMT. I'm talking, you know, catechols are found in green tea. So if you're drinking tons of green tea, your COMT is being slowed down from you sucking down green tea. So if it's becoming that time of the month for you ladies, where you are known to struggle with PMS and it's no laughing matter. It's a serious issue for, for, for women. And if you're drinking green tea, you're drinking down, you're drinking coffee, caffeine's a catechol. You are, uh, I'm having a bit of trying to remember all the different things with COMT, but your estrogen levels are higher and higher estrogen levels uh, increase histamine as well. And now your COMT gene is, busy processing some of the, is busy processing the green tea components, is busy processing the estrogen and the dopamine, the norepinephrine are also stuck in the epinephrine. So now no wonder you have premenstrual syndrome because you're massive amounts of neurotransmitters that are in your brain right now. So what do you do? You support your COMT gene. And if you support your COMT gene, those PMS symptoms will not be present anymore. You can get over PMS. Yes, you can. And since I've been working with my wife with her liver and, you know, because in microbiome, because a lot of estrogens are processed there, 
much better. Her PMS is is very slight some months. Some months it's worse than others. It's it's a tough one to battle, but it can be done. So COMT's job is estrogen, norepinephrine, dopamine, epinephrine, and any catechols in the diet. The cofactor is magnesium, magnesium, and also SAME, which is comes from methylation. So you need both SAME, which you can't just run out and take the supplement SAME, as I describe in the book. It's complicated. I'm not going to get into it now. You can learn about it there, but magnesium is really important. And then, so that's COMT. And then for MAO-A, MAO-A helps process, it supports the elimination of dopamine, norepinephrine as well, um, but also processes serotonin and it helps process histamines out of the body, especially N-methylhistamine. And you can order N-methylhistamine on organic, organic acids test and see that. If your N-methylhistamine is really high, then your histamines are high. So and MAO-A has been working hard on that. So and MAO-A helps convert. So, you know, if you, if you, if the type of person laying in bed and staring at the ceiling at night and you cannot fall asleep, then the potential for your neurotransmitters to be elevated is pretty darn high because you're not able to fall asleep. You might be the type of person that's really focused, attentive. It's a lot of stuff done during the day. You're go, 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 go. You lay down in bed and your brain still stays on. Your neurotransmitters are still being produced. Your COMT and MAO-A are stuck. They're slow. And so if you have a dirty COMT, a dirty MAO-A, or slow MAO-A, slow COMT, and a dirty MTHFR and a dirty DAO, you are going to be staring at the ceiling. And you start cleaning them up, you're going to start falling asleep and staying asleep. And then on the flip side, if you fall asleep really well, but you cannot stay asleep, there's a lot of factors with that too, but your, your MAO-A and your COMT genes are doing really well but your melatonin probably levels are probably getting burned out really quickly. So maybe you need sustained release melatonin. Maybe you need some 5-HTP uh, to stay asleep. And so we have optimal sleep at Seeking Health, which supports the uh, staying asleep. And I'm working on, I've already done it. It's been through testing and trials at home and other places, optimal sleep too, which is for people who can't fall asleep. And that's what I've been using because I can stay asleep just fine. But my neurotransmitters, I'm a thinker, and I'll just stay in bed staring at the ceiling, but optimal sleep too. I'll tell you, I, it was a four-capsule serving originally, and my brain was so slow, Melanie, I would turn my head, and my eyes were still looking at the wall that was behind me. <laughs> it was weird. And so now I just take one capsule, and so I've adjusted the, the product. If I went to market with that, boy, we'd have a lot of zombies. <laughs> yeah. I think listeners, you've got to get the book because if any of that resonated with you, I particularly loved, like you talk about in the book, like the difference between the slow and fast manifestations of Compton and however you say it, the MOA, <laughs> M-A-O-A, M-A-O-A, and how it really does manifest in your personality in a way, in your experience of the world. And you might think it's like I said, you're just your personality, but it really might be how your genes are reacting to these neurotransmitters and whether or not you're, you know, how they're being eliminated or processed or used or building up or whatever it may be. So people who order Stratagene, which, when did you launch that? Is that, it's newer, right? Just, yeah, just. Do you send a spit test? Yeah. So imagine 23andMe and Ancestry, you know, you went online and you grabbed a DNA collection kit from either of those companies. You spit in the tube and sent it to the lab. You waited for you know a few weeks or so, and then uh, you got your raw data from that. You you logged into your account and you looked at all the stuff that they report to you, 
And well, ancestry doesn't give you much. 23andMe, the health reports, in my opinion, suck. I don't care if my if I eat asparagus and my pea stinks. I could just eat asparagus and tell if my pea stinks. Or cilantro. Yeah, or cilantro, or or if my hair is more likely to be red. But hey, I'm hazel. You know, I'm brown hair and hazel eyes. So you know, this stuff that they report is just kind of worthless. Or if I'm 1.4 increased risk of prostate cancer. Okay, what do I do about it? You know, I I don't know what genes are implicated. This one particular gene, sure. But how do my genes get dirty, which increases my risk of prostate cancer? That's what I want to know. So that's what Stratagene does. So Stratagene, you order Stratagene kit, ships to your house. You can get the spit tube where you spit in it. Uh, If you have an infant or you have a difficult time with saliva, we have a cheek swab. We have both for people. So they're both accurate, but you need to, you know, choose which is best for you. You always collect your sample first thing in the morning, ideally away from food or drink or any of that, because you're going to get the most concentrated saliva. The more concentrated your saliva is, the better your DNA sample will be, and the better your strategy report will be in terms of comprehensiveness. My wife did her genetic test strategy. I don't think she had any genes missing. They were all called. I did mine. It failed. <laughs> Here I am giving the instructions. I didn't follow my own instructions, right? So I got to do the test again. I did it in the middle of the day. I did it after drinking some water. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And it wasn't fine. Uh, it was terrible. Follow the instructions. All the instructions. I'm a man, so I didn't. And so what happens then is we also ship you a copy of the book. So you get a copy of the book, Dirty Jeans, with the test kit which is great because you can learn as you're waiting. We also give you online access after you activate your kit and you activate your tube and register your tube. And then you get online, a bunch of online tools as well. You get the Dirty Genes course, you get some other videos to learn. So there's a lot of learning going on for four weeks while you're waiting for your sample, which is good because by the time that strategy report hits you, you don't get just bowled over with scientific biochemistry and pathways and like, holy crap, what did I just do to myself? Because now you're, you're educated and you've been informed. So what you're going to get is roughly a 122-page report gag. And what you want to focus on, though, is not all the stuff that's inside the report, all the information from gene to gene. You want to look at the pathways, the biochemistry. And the key is you need to do the quiz in the book and find out which genes are you know, currently dirty from your book. You read those. And then the first like the second page of your strategy report after you get it is a dirty genes pathway. So all the seven genes that you've been discussed in the book, we show you your genetics of those seven genes. And then you can look at those and you can dive in deeper and start understanding more. The book is going to give you a lot of insight. And so does the report. And it shows you how your genes are born, whereas the book shows you how your genes are acting. So say, for example, you take the quiz in dirty genes and your DAO is filthy. It's like 10 out of 10 dirt. And you get your strategy report, you see your DAO gene is slow. It's dirty. And you're like, ah, okay. All right, that's easy. Now let's get a little bit tricky. Let's say you do the dirty genes quiz in the book. Your COMT gene is fast. It's totally fast. And you get your your strategy test back. It's slow. And you're like, what? What? I don't understand. How can it be fast? Yep, I'm genetically, I'm slow. How does that happen? Well, your environment, your diet, you're probably not eating sufficient protein. You probably are, you know, doing something different to make your COMT work too fast. Maybe you're low estrogen, you know? So 
there's things that you need to understand and then you start eating more protein. Maybe you start drinking some green tea. Maybe you start supplementing with some tyrosine and now you start feeling good and you take the quiz. Your CMT is not slow in the book anymore. It's not fast anymore and uh, you're doing better. So that's uh, how it all that works. Okay. That's fascinating. I'm glad you touched on that because I was wondering that because historically it resonated with me. I felt like I had a probably a slow COMT. And then I did, I have my genetic data that I had done, not through 23andMe, I actually did through this Facebook like thing, but I ran it through one report, not yours, um, but another company. And it said that my COMT was normal. And I was like, really? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there for a couple things. You're in trouble. No. <laughs> so you said the word normal. Okay. This is one thing that a lot of genetic tests make you feel abnormal right? They make you feel broken, correct? Or they make you feel whole because you don't have a genetic variant there. Like, oh, I'm good. I'm, I don't have a variant. I'm not, I'm not a mutation. I'm not a mutant. So the word normal should be shifted to typical. So it's really important that you have the mindset going into genetic testing that it should not be scary. It should be empowering. And so the first page of strategy, we, we talk about this so right on the first page, we state this, what you're about to uncover in these upcoming pages is extremely powerful. You finally have the opportunity to peek under the hood and see you, blah, blah, blah. There is no such thing as a bad report or a good report, just unique. You won't find any red or yellow colors here that symbolize bad or warning. Instead, you'll learn that some of your genes naturally work slower and some work faster. It's important you know this information so you can adapt. If you don't know how your genes are built, you have no idea how your genes impact you. So when you did that genetic test and you found out that your CMT was quote unquote normal, you said? Right. Typical. Typical. Am I assuming they looked at your CMT V158M variant? I could actually check. I'd have to check. Okay. Well, that's fine. But they only looked at one CMT variant, correct? I'm not sure. It was an entire, it might've been a lot more because it was a really long report on CMT. Okay. So there is, on, on the current strategy, our old strategy, we reported two CMT variants. The new one, we report four. And according to research, there is a four SNP haplotype, new word. Haplotype is when you look at a series of single nucleotide polymorphisms and you look at the combined effect of those series of four. You cannot assume that if you have a homozygous variant or heterozygous variant, that they're all going to be slow. Doctors do this all the time. People who create genetic reports do this all the time. You cannot do that. A genetic variant changes the shape of the particular enzyme, which alters its function. It may speed it up. It may slow it down. It may do nothing. So in COMT, V158M, yes, it slows it down. You get another SNP in the gene. What does that do to it, right? We looked at the DAO. There's 6,000 SNPs or something. So if if there's a SNP that doesn't alter the shape, no effect is done. If it does affect the shape, an effect is done, and then you have another variant and another variant, it's altering its shape in different ways, right? So the COMT4 SNP haplotype in strategy, I think, is the only genetic report that reports this. Maybe there's something new out there now besides ours. I don't know. But we look at the combination of all four. So, Melanie, I'm going to be very, very curious if and when you do your strategy and report from Seeking Health, 
what your CMT status looks like. Have you been struggling? You don't have to share this. It's a pretty personal question. Have you been struggling with slow CMT type issues basically your whole life? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I would suspect then your CMT may be born slow. You just don't have the haplotype that is being looked at. I just looked at the report I ran. It, it was for, I guess they use the terminology average. So two were average, and but two were low. Two were slow or? They're using the word low. I'm guessing might mean slow. Yeah, low is not the right terminology because you don't have something that's low. They, you know, a runner, a marathon runner isn't low, right? They're, they might be slow. They might be fast. They might be typical, average, but you can't be low. So the other thing is too, they might have four SNPs there. They might have 10, but did they look at the haplotype? Are they, are they discussing the haplotype? Okay, gotcha. They should say, according to research, a force SNP haplotype utilizing these RSIDs and alleles of these types will you know, calculate into a slow haplotype or a fast CMT or a slow CMT or a typical CMT. So, and you have to do algorithms to figure out what those speeds are. So I very suspect of a genetic test reporting low. Gotcha. This is fascinating. Well, I will, I will have to run the strategy and see what it says about my, my COMT business. Yeah, we'll, we'll comp you a kit on the house. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited. Yeah, so reach out to Katie and, and get it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you can share your results with me too when you get it. We have inside the portal, you can share with your doctor, you can share it with your friends. It's pretty cool. So you don't have to email it back and forth. It stays in the secure area. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely incredible. I could keep talking to you for hours and hours, but I will not. That does bring me to the last question that I ask every single guest on this podcast. And it's just because I realize more and more every single day how important mindset is surrounding everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? Breathing. Oh, good answer. Breathing. Being alive. You know, if your day goes to crap, you know, you're still breathing and just be thankful for, for that. It's, it's amazing, you know, and it's so easy to let it go because it's part of your autonomic nervous system. You don't even have to think about it, right? If your hands and feet are cold, then you're not breathing properly, but you're still breathing automatically. So the fact that you're able to breathe, the fact that you're able to see, you know, that is, that is amazing. And if you're living in a, a, a really hard time right now. It's a tough time for many, many people, many people. Just be thankful that you can breathe, be thankful of the things that you have and grateful for it and have the mindset of something that is going to improve and pick a date of when it's going to improve. And you'll be amazed when you have a positive mindset and a target. I don't want to say goal because goals are wishy-washy, but a target. And I want you aiming at that target go for it, seek it out. You know, maybe you want to walk a mile without pain. Maybe you want to, you know, go on a, a vacation with your family. You haven't done it in five years. You know, maybe you just want to be able to think clearly without a headache, you know, just pick something, one thing and and knock it out and get it and then move forward to the next one. You know, your targets should be slightly out of reach, not crazy out of reach, but slightly out of reach. And I will tell you, that I've had many, many, many patients over the years, very depressed, 
you know, suicidal giving up, we would just practice on the things that, that are going good in their life. You know, when you go to the doctor, what's the chief complaint? What are all the things that are wrong? It's all wrong, 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 wrong. They're not asking, well, what are the things that are good in your life? So write down the things that are good in your life. And, and if you can emphasize those or increase some of those, do that. And if there's something negative in your life, I talk about this in the uh, bonus chapter of Dirty Genes. A is to avoid. Avoid toxic things like you're exposed to right now, Melanie, of, of formaldehyde and paint fumes and so on. So you're working on that with your air filters and possibly hotel room. Hopefully they didn't change their paint. When you reserve, reserve for the hotel, make sure they didn't change their carpets. You know, think of the positive things. But yeah, I'm thankful for breathing. Wow. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. I've asked every single guest, like I said, that question. And that was one of the most amazing answers I've received yet. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. Like I said, I've been such a fan of your work and all that you're doing for years and years. Your book is incredible. All of your resources. I've taken your supplements, just all the things. I'm just full of gratitude. I'm so grateful that I'm talking to you right now and that we can share all this information with listeners. So, so thank you. This has been amazing. Hopefully we can talk again in the future. Sounds good. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.